just give a couple of personal reflections from, I've been fortunate, I suppose on this issue I've been just fortunate just by dint of circumstances to be talking about and thinking about it and working on it for guts of 25 years and failing for most of the 25 years, so maybe I just want to give a few reflections from someone who's tried and still needs to get it right. Um, but just reflect on a couple of other people who've influenced me or made me think. Um, firstly, just one perspective about story, about how we look at stories. Um, we organised a series of climate gatherings, you could look it up on the web, climategathering.org, which was to try and consider what new stories might work around climate, recognising that our story was not working. And it was interesting, we had an event in the Burnham College of Art, we bought top experts from all over the world, and there was the same assessment, no matter where you were coming from, Eastern Europe, America, that, that, that we'd, we'd made people feel guilty. We'd, we'd scared them with this big story of the climate change that's happening, and then we're not giving you commensurate solutions, it's something about changing your light bulb, but there, isn't a, there wasn't a commensurate link. That if you brought up the issue of climate change at a social gathering, it was social death. In one of those, and we went on to have a whole series of further climate gatherings, including the one that Kennedy O'Brien spoke at, but in one of them there was just one moment where um, a guy from the European Commission said something very simple that struck me as very strong and true. We were thinking, if you think of climate, you have to think in geological time frames, and you know the story that we're shifting from what was the Holocene, this very stable period, 10,000 years of relative stable climate, to what they're calling the Anthropocene, man affecting, man or woman affecting uh, nature in a fundamental way. And the difficulty we have, and so one of the difficulties we have, this European Commission official said, you know, the strange thing is, in that Holocene period for 10,000 years, all the stories we tell, all the mythology, theology, ideology, are all based on that stable climate. We don't have experience of storytelling which is going to prepare us for what is going to be a different era, a different geological space. It's a simple thought, it's an obvious one, but it kind of struck me as, oh God, we're in, we're in trouble here. This is tricky stuff, because even all the truths we have built up over years um, might necessarily resonate or hold true in a different geological space. I'm optimistic as well. My general course and my nature is an optimistic one. And one of the reasons I'm optimistic, there's another guy, I kind of, fortunately these are all men I'm thinking of quoting, but uh, um, there's a guy called Jeremy Rifkin, who I find a very interesting thinker in terms of the move into a new space, a new era. He, I won't go into the full details of his thesis, but, but uh, he, he, he equates changes in communications technology, energy technology, transport technology with changes in culture. You know, we went from a nomadic period where we were oral tradition, um, oral communications, fire as our energy source, walking as our transport, and that was a world of mythology culture. A settling down into villages, we changed to script as our communications technology to record what's in the barn and what we sell. Um, our, our energy technology changes to oxen, our, our, our uh, transport changes to the horse, and our culture changes to theology, the theological, how we live with each other, how we share in a village. It changes, and I'm jumping now over the Enlightenment and the Renaissance and everything, but our communications technology changed to print, our energy technology changes to water mill, wind mill, steam, our communications technologies, our transport technology changes to train, and we make a cultural leap to ideology, which is where we're still stuck in political terms. 
20th century, century of the self, our communications technology, telephone, telegraph, television, our energy technology, oil, is phenomenal. Energy-dense material, three tablespoons of oil is eight man-hours of labor. We've never had anything like it. It turns this evolutionary term from donkeys into cheetahs overnight. The uh, transport te technology changes to the car. Our culture changes from ideology to psychology. Century of the self, Jung, Freud. And where are we now? We're in a similar moment of change. The communications technology, the shift to the internet is as radical a shift as anything as a move from script or, or to or previous changes. The energy system is changing. It's moving from a centralized, distributed oil fossil fuel system to a distributed, renewable, efficiency is everything energy system. And our transport system will change in turn by using that communications technology to move around in a different way. And I think, this is my thoughts in terms of, if we've moved from that kind of mythology to theology to ideology to psychology, where are we going now? It's towards ecology. I would say that, but it seems to me to make sense. Interconnection being everything. It's in tune with the characteristics of that digital revolution, which is a more distributed communication system, nodal, different, designed in a way to survive a nuclear attack, created a robust, decentralized system. Same with the new energy system. Its characteristics are different. If you map it out, it's similar to the internet in the way it's, it's kind of structure, ownership, and all those sort of ways. So, ecology for me is the great leap we have to make. Um, going back to that 10,000 10, years thinking, I was also greatly influenced by John Moriarty. I had the great pleasure of meeting him and uh, was blown away by what is, I see, a green philosopher. And that sense of his thing, we actually, we do need to go back almost 10,000 years. He goes right back into Minoan civilization, or right back into the cave, into the earth, and to reconfigure our relationship with it. That's the scale of the shift we are seeking, I think. Oh, he's a difficult guy to read. I really get an instinctive sense of love of that silver branch perception he understands, or he articulates. But finding it and sharing it and developing it and nurturing it is something we have yet to clearly do. At that climate gathering, so I was talking about the one in the burn, we started working around narratives and truths and what sort of stories we would tell. It didn't go well for the first few days. We had the top people. We had Obama's climate advisor. We had the top German guy, top guys from Harvard. For the first day or two, they were all tapping on their laptop. They weren't really getting with the different way we were trying to do it, bringing them out to nature. We got them dancing. We did all sorts of things to try and shake them. But it started to work on about the third day. We were working in a small group. And we were talking about narratives about how we would speak about home, and speak in a simple way about home. Stop speaking about the planet, bring it back home. And we decided to explain it to the wider group, and we got a young girl who was there from the village, Ali Vaughan, to explain it. And she had a slight voice. And I knew we had people. When the guy, Obama's advisor, because he couldn't hear her, was on his knees listening to a 15-year-old girl, and there was just a power in it. Oh, there was a woman there, um, she was married to Martin Hayes, the fiddler, and um, she said something very simple at the end. She's not an expert, she wasn't a particular interest in climate, but she was just attending and she listening and taking part. She spoke powerfully, emotionally towards the end, she says, I am just a mother, I am just there looking after the hearth, looking after the home. And the desire to get that right. And again, it was just for me powerful. 
it induced a kind of that father feeling of actually that sense of protection, wanting to you know, we do the right thing, protect our home. It worked for me. Maybe I was influenced by another philosopher, Roger Scruton, an English philosopher, a conservative, shy, hates the Greens. But it's interesting what he writes, because he also writes about love of the home being at the centre of a new Green philosophy. Or, and I kind of have a certain sense about it when I read him, I think, yeah, okay, now he would be identified as on the right, but I, why does that belong to anyone's side? That's a sense of wanting to conserve and look after the home. It belongs to either left or right. It's not, oh, it's not part of the, this ecological connected way. Should not be stuck in that divided, ideological 19th, 18th century way of looking at the world. And that influences my politics. One thing I can speak about a little bit is politics, because that's what I work at. We're in a very interesting space politically at the moment. The doll is weird. It's kind of limbo land feeling, it's strange. Now, I'm comfortable with new politics, we do it in spades. But even I'm feeling a bit, oh, could not just have the order, the order of business where the minister gives out and the opposition kicks back and everyone has a good feeling about where they are in the relative space. It might not work, but I think actually, it, I would love to see it work for two or three years to see can we do things slightly differently in a more ecological, connected way. I didn't, I didn't have any sense, there isn't a sense of political ambition in our political system about climate. It does not exist, we are not leading, and it doesn't because we haven't inspired our people with the sense that it's possible. Don't blame the political system, it's just they're reflecting what's out there in the public. And in more negotiations, I was involved in the programme for government negotiations briefly, there was a sense now, there's no, there's no commensurate leap we're prepared to make that you would think the science would justify. You know, the science, this is radical, it was agreed in Paris, requires a transformation of everything, of our energy system, food system, transport system, the whole thing very quickly, at scale. And we're not even thinking of it. We're nowhere near doing it. Um, and I got that, I was disappointed in the sense I got that sense in the negotiations I was involved in. But there was one thing in the programme for government that was written that caught my eye, two things that caught my eye, and this goes back to some of the stuff I was talking about Ed and Grace earlier on. Um, there are two sections in the paper that are interesting. On page 12 or 13, there's an acknowledgement that the political system in Ireland, the public administration system, has lost connection with people. We've not engaged effectively. Even when we do consultations, a tick box exercise where we, we're going to build a motorway, what do you think? Yeah, thank you. Done. Um, there was a recognition that we need to engage with people differently, that we need to do consultation in a very open way with people, with media. The media have a very significant role and real power, which they haven't exactly used very well in my mind in recent years, with the public, with the stakeholders, with the public, the public system and the public service. And they see it, that's a need to reconsider how we engage or with the public in terms of considering some of the big issues, how we get to a single tier, tier health system, how we provide for pensions for our people, how we look after climate, how we manage climate. And I think there's an opportunity in that to actually engage the Irish public in a new way, or in a way of this issue, and engage them where we stop telling people what to do. We ask them for help. We admit uncertainty. We don't know all the technological solutions. We're going to have to adapt and change. We'll fail some of the time and we'll adapt. Sometimes we have to hasten slowly. We don't want to give this kind of panicked impression, we're going to do it today. Sometimes we have to think, sit back and think. 
our climate gatherings, we had a metaphor that someone applied from the Shannon Air Sea Rescue Helicopter. When they get a phone call, um, it's a crisis, they've got to go out fast. The first thing they do is they put on the kettle. Step back and think, what do we do here? What's the best approach? We need to be some way similar to reflect and think as well as acting before we act. But, so there's this opportunity in the next two years in a very weird political limbo in my mind to engage with our people. I don't know exactly how we're going to do it. But there's something in the latter part of the recent revised programme for government, the very end of it, which acknowledges something else, that our connection with community development has gone slightly awry. Something happened in Ireland in the early 90s, came from Paolo Ferrer and all sorts of thinking that for, came out of wherever Bazil or Alan would know this, I'm sure. But, um, it led to a certain, it was, it was a homegrown, bottom-up, community-centred form of community engagement and development that took place in our society. It was very often developed around property eradication in the most disadvantaged communities, but it was real. You people in this room, I'm sure, must be involved in that and would know what I'm speaking of. Uh, I was briefly involved in a couple of tangential ways. But again, for hard-to-describe reasons, in the middle part of the last decade, we kind of gave up on it, lost it, or by whole series of different reasons, it moved towards, rather than a community-led development of services, it became a state-centred supporting community, a state-centric support system rather than community-led. So I think, my thing, my pitch, my, my work in the next few months is, and I've been talking to Thishik for this and he's supportive, um, is actually could we do something interesting around community development and climate as an engagement. And could it be very practical to put what Laudato says, recognises it into real effect, that poverty eradication and tackling climate are completely connected. That actually rather than just a disempowering form of poverty eradication, we actually empower communities to improve their local environment, to improve their health, to walk, to cycle, to eat better, to to have enterprise in a way that improves your mental health. Can we put those two together? Can we put it back, can we stitch into it and actually respect connection with the local environment? There's a local group down the road here, the Daughter Action, which is involved in developing the Community Action Group about just protecting and improving our river. It works. There's a guy down the burn, Brendan Dunford, brilliant guy, community development. He's doing a simple thing now every month, once a month, People go for a walk in their local community with someone from the community who has a knowledge about the history or the ecology or the topography of the area. A bit like going to a book club, but it's mobile and it's about the place, our own place, our own home. And I think it's this practical stuff. It's not, we're not going to get caught lost in the big parts per million this and kilowatts that. It has to be something that connects to people's home is what we need to develop and do. I have one request or one call. None of this is certain. We're working with the Irish Environmental Network and with Tashki, with a whole range of different people, bring them in. All political parties, collaborative. This is not the long. This, one of the things we learned from the Baron is the green movement, the environmental movement, has to give this up. It's too important just to belong to a fringe political organisation. It has to belong to everyone. We share this. It has to belong to the right, it has to belong to the left. So we op I open it up. 
And if the one community I know in this city, my city, that is effective and works, there are people, friends of mine like Gary McDarby and others, I know people know him, who are connected to what I call the Jesuit community, who do stuff in this city. I'd have one maybe side request to keep an eye out that if you see some sort of initiative coming out of government in the next six months or a year, which is all about community development and climate, well, engaging gear, make the Jesuit community part of what's going to happen. Thank you.